Good evening everyone and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Oneness Part 2. Oneness. Oneness. Hashem is one. Hashem Echad. Yachid Umiyuchad. Singular. Unique. And how can that be? There's so many people. So, so many people living in this world. There's so many realities, so many, and yet Hashem is one. That's where we are. We're in, Ch- in Tanya, chapter 20, page 86. And I'd like to go back <laughs> and repeat one quote together and really try and understand that. And with that, we're going to go ahead and uh, delve into the, into, we have a doctor here, he'll give us more insight. We're going to delve into the idea of speech. So page 86, left column, fourth line. Again, page 86, left column, fourth line. Says the Tanya, For just as he was all alone, single and unique before they were created just as Hashem was all alone nothing else existed before creation so is He one and alone single and unique after they were created Hashem is one does nothing else existing aside for Hashem even once the world was created and here comes the crux of the answer since since besides Him everything is as nothing, verily as null and void. Aside from Hashem, everything is as nothing. Kula kamekla mamishchashiv. In front of Hashem, it's as if everything is nothing. What does that mean? Brett is here. Bread is here. Phil is here. Bash is here. Dr. Yosef is here. What does it mean that? In front of Hashem, everything is as nothing. And we're going to now go on a tangent. And we're going to discuss speech. Why speech? How did Hashem create this world? Could anyone recall? How did, how was, did creation happen? In hells. In house? In hells. In hells? It's in a breath. And you create space. So how did Hashem create the world? from nothingness. Also, his breath goes, goes out and, and the essence of Hashem. Bidvar Hashem Nasu. Very good. With the word of Hashem, Hashem created. Words created. Let's see that inside. And then we're going to talk about speech. Again, we're left column four. For the coming into being of all the upper and nether worlds out of non-being, this that we have creations that are now as something from nothing and their life and existence sustaining them from reverting to non-existence and not as was before where does this ability come for there to be something from nothing and the fact that the something doesn't return back to nothing is nothing else but the word of God Devar Hashem and the breath of his mouth blessed be ye that is clothed in them so the word of Hashem and the breath of Hashem's mouth, Veruach Piv, that's inside of the words, that is what is creating the world every moment. 
how does this explain to us? How does this help us? The fact that the world comes from the, wor- from the speech of Hashem, so how does that mean that the world is now non-existent? How? Now we're going to delve into speech. What does it mean to speak? I'm going to put Dr. Yosef on the spot and I'll ask him to give us a 30 second thought on the power of speech. Power of speech? How, where does speech come from in a scientific way? Um, well, it has to do with the, the larynx um, and I guess the, the tongue and, and so on the mouth. Um, and uh, I guess you require air. I have a question for you. What does it mean that a person can't speak? God forbid, a person that doesn't have the ability to speak. Is that a physical thing or is it, an, is it a part of his soul that's not allowing him to speak? In other words... Oh, there are people who have had strokes who cannot speak. Right. Um, and that's def- definitely a physical thing. Right. It has to do with the brain. Right. But what about, are there people that their body is fully functional and yet they don't have the ability to speak? Uh, a mute. What does the word mute mean? That's, I, I don't, I mean, there are, there are people who are born mute. Right. But I, I don't know much about that. And, and I share that because, yeah. and we're going to learn tonight, yeah. is that we all have, as we're familiar, three garments. And the three garments are Please help me. Thought, speech, and action. There are ten attributes and three garments of the soul. Thoughts, and the reason they're garments is because you could think now about how the tanya is red, and a moment later you could think how you like the beautiful tissue box. Your thoughts are constantly changing, like your clothing you could put on and off. But your soul doesn't change. You have one soul, or you have three souls, two souls. So what does it mean to speak? Speech is a very low part of the soul. The power of speech is an extremely low power within the soul. Within the, the garments itself, speech is a second. The first garment is thought. Thought is more spiritual than speech. So within the garments itself, speech is secondary. And within the power of speech itself, the power of speech is infinite. There's no definition of how much a person can speak. Even once, God forbid, a person dies, the ability of his soul to speak is is still there. So that means when a human being says one word, you wake up in the morning and you say, Modeh, from the Modeani, you say Modeh. That word within itself has practically zero value as a word. Talking to Hashem, that has tremendous value. But the word, when you go and you say, you say water, whatever the word may be, the word itself has practically zero value relative to the ability of speech. Do you remember the third word you said last Thursday after you ate breakfast? Why not? I've said so many words. (laughs) The power of speech is infinite. And our words, you know they say, talk is cheap. Isn't there such an expression? Talk is cheap. 
So when we're saying that Hashem created the world with speech, it's actually a deficiency, so to say. We're saying how the creation of the world came from a very low part of Hashem. Not only came from a very low part of Hashem, just like when, when we speak, our words are basically irrelevant to the soul, the words of Hashem are in a sense irrelevant to the essence of Hashem. Meaning that the creation of the world from the speech of Hashem is in a sense irrelevant. Is in a sense nothing to Hashem. Just like our speech is nothing, so Hashem's speech relative to His essence is nothing. And now we understand what it means that in front of Hashem the creation never happened. The creation is nothing. Just like... Phil, I can't believe it, Phil. You don't remember what you said last Thursday after lunch. It's crazy. Just like we don't remember what we say, our words are... The, the words itself don't have so much preciousness, holiness, specialty, uniqueness, power. So too, saying that creation came from Hashem's speech is a sign of how far the creation came from Hashem's essence. Dr. Yosef has a question. I see. Yeah, because I, I, I thought... Judaism said just the opposite, that, that speech was very valuable. I mean, the whole thing about Lashon Hara, I mean, it's about you know, watching your speech, which means you should, you know, do some kind of, but, but, I, but I thought speech is very valuable. I mean, speech is extremely valuable. And you said it's a garment of the soul. And it's a garment of the soul, but relevant to the soul, it's very, very far. Let me explain, let me explain. So is it relative to actions, it's, it's lower? Relative to action is lower than speech. So speech is greater than action. In its, in its closeness to the soul. And that's exactly what I wanted to tell Dr. Yosef. In this world, the greatest thing is action. The greatest thing is to do. Speaking is so-so, and thinking is <laughs> not going to get you anywhere. So Hashem is looking for the action. When Hashem says to do a mitzvah, He doesn't want you to think about it, and say, I'm going to now focus on the picture of my grandfather putting on tefillin. That's not going to help. Hashem wants you to put on tefillin. So, yes, in this world what Hashem wants is, is action. But the action, when it happens, is not the essence of the soul. The essence of the soul is much, much deeper and greater than the action. And that's not a contradiction. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Lashon hara. Or, on the contrary, let's talk about speaking positive about somebody. That's an amazing, amazing thing. To go over and make someone feel good is an amazing thing. But yet, that's what we always share with other people, that it's, it's so cheap for a person to do it. It's so easy. You know, what does it mean? What does it mean we say that Hashem wanted to reward the Jewish people, so He gave them 613 mitzvahs? What does that mean? It means Hashem is trying to allow us in every single thing we do, get a mitzvah from it. So the same thing as Hashem says, that speech, it's easy. All you need to do is give someone a smile, give someone a kind word, and you're doing a big mitzvah. On the contrary, on the other hand, God forbid, if someone says something negative, it's a big, it's a big avera. But that does not mean that speech is coming directly from the essence of the soul. 
two separate discussions. The importance of speech, the importance of action is one conversation. But our conversation now is, what the sort is speech a direct reflection of the essence of the soul? Let me give you an example. When you see someone saying a kind word to someone else, has he revealed the essence of his soul with those kinds of words? It's a manifestation. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. Right? That if you have kind words to say, that it reflects what's down deep. Yes. But is, are those kind words the essence of his soul itself? No. Exactly what you've said actually is going to bring out better what we're learning here. The kind words are certainly a direct reflection of the essence of the soul. But they are not the essence of the soul. It's two separate things. Let me say it in other words. How many times can a person say something kind, friends? Infinite. In, in, exactly, infinite. Infinite. Meaning that the kindness is a reflection of the soul, but not the soul itself. Lashon Hara, God forbid, how many times can a person say something detrimental? <laughs> Unfortunately, also infinite. <laughs> it may be a reflection of the essence of the soul, but it's not the essence of the soul itself. That's what we're learning here. That speech, relative to the essence of the soul, are separated almost by infinity in how far apart they are. Again, the essence of the soul being on one end and speech being a very, very distant relative that comes from the essence of the soul but is a very, is a very distant reflection of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Phil, so you can, go ahead. So you can say something and not really mean it? Well, that's a further proof, a further proof that speech is not the essence of the soul is the fact you could say whatever you want. You could believe what you say, you could not believe what you say, you could... That's a further proof mm -hmm. that the speech is not a direct reflection of the soul. So, I'm, I'm struggling and I'm anticipating getting to like what you're going to say next. What I'm curious of is how I get in touch with my pure soul once you peel back all the layers that are affecting my current mood and all the situations? Love. Okay. Being strict when necessary. Being a beautiful person. Being strong when needed. Having splendor in when, when, when it's required. Persevering. Are you familiar with what I'm saying now? I can relate it to my person. I'm talking about the 10th I said it in nice words. But chesed, kindness, givura, strictness, teferis, beauty, the 10th those are the essence of the soul. So when you go ahead and you connect with those, then you've gotten in contact with, in a sense, the essence of the soul. Yeah. Good question. Okay. So speech is not coming directly from the soul, it's 
coming. And we've given three proofs of the distance of speech to the soul. They are, number one, a person within, within the power of speech itself, you could talk until infinity. Meaning within the power of speech itself, which is a, which is a low power within the soul. It's a garment. And it's even a garment that's under thought. You could, within the power of speech itself, every word is not important. Relative to the soul itself, the word, how much more so the word is not important. Let's see this inside. Let's see it inside. We're holding to illustrate. To illustrate from the soul of a human being. We're now going to discuss what it means to speak as a human when a man utters a word. This utterance in itself is as absolutely nothing. The word you've just said, you said hello. That word is considered nothing even when compared only with his general articulate soul. Just regarding the power of speech, which is the so-called middle garment, speech is the middle of three garments, namely, its faculty of speech which can produce speech without limit or end. Speech with one word relative to the ability to speak is, is nothing. All the more when it, the speech, is compared with, it, with its so-called innermost garment, namely its faculty of thought, which is the source of speech and its life force. Thought, how does a person speak? You could only speak if you think. That's why we know people that, if, if you're not thinking, you can make noise. You'll say words, but they're not going to make sense. If a person... If you want to give something over, you have to think about it in advance. And you have to prepare it. So if the word is, not, is nothing relative to the power of speech, how much more so the word is nothing relative to the power of thought, which is greater than speech, which is the source of speech and its life force. What is the difference of, between being a source and life force? In order to speak, you have to think. And while speaking, you also need to think. Unless you wrote it down. But if, when, you're say, when you're saying something over at that moment, you still need to be involved in what you're saying. And you could tell when a person is not thinking and they're talking. You could tell. You, you could tell. Not to mention when it, the speech, is compared with the essence and entity of the soul. These being its ten attributes mentioned above, Phil, you see it says clearly this essence of the soul in our conversation here is are the ten sefirot, namely Chachma, Bina, Dat, and so on, from which are derived the letters of thought that are closed in the speech when it is uttered. How does a person speak? In order to speak, you first have to have something on your mind. When, when someone speaks, when someone is thinking, are there words within his thought? 
do our, does his thought include words? Yeah. The answer is yes. So speech is a direct outcome of thought. To love, do you need to use words? No. No. Your the ten attributes are greater than words. The soul itself is greater than speak than than letters than words. And so. Every word that is uttered is nothing relative to the power of speech, certainly nothing relative to the power of thought, and how much more so, nothing relative to the soul itself. This is all within a human. For thought can as much be defined in terms of letters as speech, like you said, Dr. Yosef. Thought also has letters, except that in the former they are more spiritual and refined. Your, your words that are inclusive of your thought are much more refined than the words that are in your speech. The words within your thought are spiritual. If you open up someone's brain, you're not going to find words within it. But when you speak, you're actually articulating the words. So again, speech and thought include words, but the ten attributes, Chachma, Bina, Dat, and so forth, are the root and source of thought. And prior to their being clothed in the garment of thought, still lack the element of letters. Okay? So the ten attributes don't have letters within them. Love doesn't have, a, love, doesn't, love doesn't have letters within it. However, thought and speech do. And we're going to give an example of what it means that, that the ten emotions don't have letters within it. For example, when a man suddenly becomes conscious of a certain love or desire in his heart, he realizes, hey, I really like this. Or I really don't like it. Before it has risen from the heart, to the brain to think and meditate about it. It has not yet acquired the element of letters. It is only a simple desire and longing in the heart for the object of his affection. There, before someone processes a love, you could love something without understanding why. And at that moment, there are no words within the love. It is a pure emotion. All the more so, before he began to feel in his heart a craving and desire for that thing. When you love something, did your love come overnight? Or in a, where? Do, okay, let me ask this question, Basha. Where does love begin? Does it begin in your hair, in your brain, in your eye, in your nose? Where, according to what we're learning now, does love begin? In your heart. In your heart is good. It's a good answer. Why do you say in your heart? That's the seed of emotion. Yes, but there's two types of love. One love is something that does begin in your heart. That uh, there's no, there's no explanation. But then there's a love that you're processing. That your mind telling you you should love it and then you love it your mind is telling you this is truly lovable 
and then you love it. But your mind has not given you a reason why it's lovable. Let me repeat this back. It's possible for you to want to love something without understanding why you want to love it. And then you'll come to love it. Now the stages between this wanting and, and when you love it could be very short. Are you with me? Yes, Phil, are you with me? Chatsi chatsi. You know what chatsi chatsi means? Dr. Yosef, how's it going? Uh, okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's try and put this together and then we'll take, we'll, we'll take some questions. Let's, and let's see it inside. All the more so... We're in the right column. Ten lines, from, ten lines from the bottom, all the more so. Before he began to feel in his heart a craving and desire for that thing. That means you don't yet love it. And it is as yet confined within the realm of his wisdom, intellect, and knowledge. Your Chabad, your Chachma Bin Adas, are hinting to you that maybe you should try and love this item. That is, the thing is known to him to be desirable and gratifying. Something good and pleasant to attain and to cling to. As for instance, to learn some wisdom or to eat some delicious food. Let's take for example, everyone tells you that you should love coming to Tanya class. Your mind is telling it to you, but that doesn't mean you, you love it yet. Within your mind telling you to love it, are there words of the love there? Are there words within your mind telling you what the love is about? We all know there's something called peer pressure. People do something because their friend's doing it. And you know what? It really works. If your friend tells you something is amazing, then you're going to convince yourself often that it's really amazing. But initially, when you're trying it out, when you're, when you're connecting with it, do you know why it's amazing? Do you have it? No. That initial process, at that initial point, is so distant, is so distanced from speech because speech, one word is far within speech itself, how much more so within thought itself, how much more so within the ten attributes which don't have any letters and within the ten attributes itself when you go within the highest of the three ten attributes, Chachma Bin Andas, the Chabad section Speech is even further from there. So every word that you say is so far from the, from the wisdom of your, from the true essence of your wisdom. To kind of put it in another word, of course every word you say is a reflection of your wisdom. But is every word you say your wisdom? Is that who you are? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're much, much deeper and greater than that. Please, Phil. So, can we try to um, apply some examples to this? Because I'm thinking of 
three types of love for different people in please, my life. Please, please. So first was the emotional, I emotional love I felt for my wife as we were dating and I was getting in closer and closer to her. And I didn't have to say anything. You could just hug or hold hands and you'd feel that warmth. So there's one type of love there that didn't use words. There's the kind of love that I have now for my teenage daughters, as difficult as that is. Um, it's more telling myself with words, I should love her despite how she treats me. And then in the middle, there's the love for a brand new newborn baby of mine where you, I know I should love them, but they've barely done anything. There's been no connection, at least with the father, maybe with the mother, it's different. So I'm trying to apply what you're saying here about using words where I think with when you meet your wife, it's all emotion, where, and then in the other two with children, it's at least for me, it's more words trying to use logic to help me, please. No, no, no. Actually, I'm really happy with the question. How do we apply this? Good question. And let's look for a moment at the words. Let's read it, let's read it together. Page 86. Right column, for example. Let's read it together. It's halfway down. For example, right there on that page, Dr. Yosef, you admit what you see, for example? Yeah. Good. For example, when a man suddenly becomes conscious of a certain love or desire in his heart. What does that mean? Before it has risen from the heart to the brain to think and meditate about it. That means... This would be more like a spouse. This would be more like a spouse. Because the, the love you're talking to your children, at the stage you're talking about it, when the, you're, you're trying to create an emotion. No, to be clear. Yeah. You, know, this, the, the, you gave two separate, you gave three cases, but really it's two. One case is where someone is able to have an emotion immediately. The other one is where they're trying to create an emotion. With whether it's with a newborn child, as you said, or a teenage child. Both of them I you know, I, I understand. But so our conversation here regarding love being something greater than putting it into words is something that you were able to connect with without your thought process telling you that. Does that help? Yeah, well, they mention here it suddenly becomes conscious. So there's like a spark. When a, when a man suddenly becomes conscious of a certain love, correct. Yeah, so that's, correct. that's the emotion without the logic. Correct. Okay. Correct. So, initially when, when we have a love or desire, that initial love is coming from the essence of the soul. Last word of page 86 only. After the desire and craving have already found their way into the heart through the stimulus of his wisdom, intellect and knowledge, 
and then ascended once more back to the brain to think and meditate on how to translate his craving from the potential into the practical with a view to actually obtaining that food or acquiring that wisdom it is here that the so-called letters are born meaning your heart is telling you to love this item then you send that love back to your brain to try and think how to make this happen so at that point your thought process is now going to put it into words it's not like hey I want this this is how we're going to do it such letters corresponding to the language of each nation employing them in speech and thought about all things in the world basically whatever language you speak the language you speak is not, is not of importance in our conversation speech is something that is far from the essence of the soul and by the way the fact that everyone could talk a different language is exactly that very point the fact that everyone could talk a different language is, is because language is not an expression of the soul if you're Chinese if you talk Chinese or English does that tell you about the person? no if a person you know can't pronounce words clearly and one pronounces them extremely well does that tell you about the person? no because speech is not a direct reflection of the essence of who the person is yes and going back when a person talks positively or negatively that there certainly it is coming from the essence of the soul but it is not that does not tell you clearly who the person is that's why people say but don't they say don't judge a book by its cover you don't judge a person by his speech if a person comes and gives you a, a brilliant speech you know what you don't know what's really behind him people can really hide things you want to think that what you see is what you get but we all know that that's not the truth you can't, you can't judge a person by one conversation with him so let's, kind of, let's put this all together wrap it up see if we could come with some clarity and uh, some happy, happy people and we'll take questions Hashem is the only existence in this world nothing else exists I, I see all of you I see myself I feel like I'm a real existence I don't feel like I'm not existing so what have we learned here? we've learned, yes we're existing but our existence is like nothing to Hashem to give you an example if you walk into a room and a fly is in the room and I come and I say, hey Brett was anyone else in the room with you? what are you going to tell me? you're going to say, John the fly you're not going to tell me John the fly you were the only, per- you were the only thing in the, wor- in the room I could even say, was anything else in the room? you're still not going to tell me the fly you're going to tell me if a chair why? because the fly has no relativity to who we are how much more so Hashem was saying that this whole world connected to the essence of Hashem is nothing when Hashem looks at the world it's as if the world doesn't exist we'll talk about that of course I hear a lot of, a lot of emotions and we'll talk about that but, it, but in truth us relative to Hashem is less than a fly relative to a human much less than a fly I love giving the analogy and saying you ever watched like an, an ant 
an ant town. What do you call it? An ant, ant, ant hill and ant colony. We stare with fascination at what's going on. But do you feel connected to them? It's, fa it's fascination. Hashem. We relatives to Hashem are nothing. Truly nothing. And as we've learned today in this analogy, just like when a person speaks, that speech, every word you say, every word we pronounce creates. Fact. Our words create things. Just like Hashem's words create. Similarly, a, a human being has the ability with his speech to create. I've shared this story and I'll share it again. The Baal Shem Tov, he went to one show and everyone in the show, they were praying with great emotion. And he turns to his fellow Talmidim and he says, you know fellow Talmidim, there's not a word of prayer in this show. They go to the next, and so everyone's praying beautifully, there's not a word of prayer. They go to the next show, it's one big schmoozing discussion. And the Baal Shem Tov says, he says, you know what, this show is full of prayer. His students turn to me and say, I don't understand. The show where everyone's caught up in davening, you say, there's no prayer there. The show where no one's davening, you say, it's full of prayer. That's exactly it, he says. Every time you pray, you're creating an angel. Every time you say something, you're creating an angel. You could create crippled angels. You could create healthy angels. There's people davening beautifully in the first show. Yeah, the show is empty of prayer because every word pronounced went straight to Hashem. So when you came into the show, there was nothing there. The other show, everyone was schmoozing. He says it was full of prayer. All those crippled angels remained in the show. They couldn't move. The show was stuffed. Our words create. And yet, we still don't take our words seriously. It's not like we write down every word we say and when we said it and how we said it. Once. Similarly, Hashem the words of Hashem are so distant from Hashem. He doesn't take it seriously. Of course he takes it seriously. Of course Hashem knows what He says. But relative to Hashem, it's nothing. Dr. Yosef, shoot out the question. Tell me, tell me what's on your mind. Well, there's a, there's a saying that I, I'm recollecting is that somebody's supposed to hold something in each hand. I'm not sure what it is. But one of them that it's supposed to say I'm I'm really worthless, you know. Okay. And and the other hand is supposed to say well, I'm of an infinite worth. Or, I don't know what the original quote is, but that's the idea. Right? Also, everything in the world is for me, right? On the one hand, but everything doesn't belong to me. Right. That right. So, are you asking a question? Um, well. <clears throat> I mean, I, I guess um, uh, speech, I mean, it's true, it's, speech is not, you know, the same as the soul, and, and maybe not as, uh, as high a, uh, a level as the soul, but it, it's worth something. I mean, after all, he quoted, he says, we say that uh, the, the world was created by on the speech process, right. whatever that means. I'm yes. not sure what that means, but 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 it, but but clearly, the if the world is worth something, yeah, something. Okay. Then the, then the speech they created has got to be worth something. 
Well, well maybe the world is worth nothing. Well, that's, that's what we're learning here. Uh, I have a lot of trouble with that. Well, maybe, but that, that's, that's really not, I mean, I mean, basically, if the world is worth nothing, then, you know, why, why go to any effort to do anything? I mean, unless we believe that, that, there, that, that you know, whatever we do does make some difference somewhere. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's, the, you know, maybe the ultimate importance, but it's got to be worth something. I, I agree with Dr. Joe that I always had thought that we're very important, that God wasn't content with the way things were. And he went out of his way to create the world, and then that's the crowning jewel he added mankind. And that he has a strong interest, and that he he follows what, what we're doing. He's not off doing other things. So that's kind of the opposite of what we're learning today. What is challenging? I heard from Dr. Yosef, I heard, I heard, I heard one point. But. What is challenging if we say that we are nothing to Hashem? What is challenging about that? And, to tell you clearly, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur we say this. Yeah. We say, We say, everyone acknowledges that Hashem is the only existence. When we say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad, Hashem is one, the truth is, we're saying Hashem is the only the only. Hashem is the only existence. We say in davening, in numerous places, we say, in, in Karbanot, every day we say, Atahu Atahu olam. Are you familiar with this paragraph? So these words are not mine. The reason I'm smiling is because, of course, I recognize the question. It's a tremendous question. It's a good question. And I'm gonna, sh I'm gonna say, I'll answer it next week. <laughs> I have to, okay, I have to tell you why I'm so excited. But I'll tell you why I'm excited. In general, the Alter Rebbe has a general rule of thumb. His rule of thumb is he doesn't leave you with a question in the middle of a chapter because he says, I never want someone to go to sleep with the question about the existence of God. Never come and start a class and say, you know what, in this class we're going to discuss if God exists, then answer it in that class. But don't open up a can of worms and let someone sleep one night thinking God doesn't exist. The one question in Tanya that the Alter Rebbe lets go through a chapter is this question. In a, sec in a second place in Tanya. Is our existence nothing or something? Here we've learned it's nothing. Yet it's a challenge. This is the one question why. So the Hasidim explained it said, What's the worst case scenario? You're going to go home and truly believe you're nothing. So not, not, not a bad thing to, to live with for a few days. I hear the question. The question again is a great question. On the one hand, we always say how important we are. We say in the Mishnah and Kiddushin says, Bishvili nivra haolam, 
The world was created for me. I am the pinnacle of creation. Yes, we learned that the man was created singular to tell us that each human being within himself is the, is the pinnacle of creation. How does that fit with what we're learning? The answer is there's, not, there's no contradiction. Everything is true. We'll discuss it next week. So let's, let's summarize, and, and if there's any more questions, again, in summary we've learned that the world is created by the speech of Hashem. The speech of Hashem is nothing relative to who He is, and therefore the world is as nothing to Hashem. That's a summary. Any questions?